Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that close tonight. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh. Down goes Duffy on Cole. Frank Mir does it again. Rock em, sock em, robots here. Oh my goodness. I believe There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull****. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I'm the winner. But it was a draw. It was a draw. If, my, if I'm Mike Bell, I'm skipping this week's episode of the Anik and Florian podcast. Great to be with you. Monday, September 18th, 2023. Back in the home studio for episode 438 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Presented by DraftKings on the DraftKings podcast. Network YouTube channel. We appreciate you checking out the show wherever you are finding us. Clips on the Anakin Florin Podcast YouTube channel. We don't discriminate on that as well. Oh, so much to get into. Ken Flo's got his Nirvana shirt. He is uh, nourished. He just ate his breakfast, which probably means he was pushing uh, heavy weight this morning. Uh, how we doing, kid? How we doing? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm feeling okay, but I, I just... How many weeks in a row, John, do I need to get poked in, behind, in the behind by these judges. I mean, it's just one thing after another. Something's coming up. I can't catch a break. Oh, I mean, I just, I, I there's some days I, I just, I, I, I want to stop giving picks, John. I'm just getting murdered over here. So oftentimes when we're on the road, my twin brother was there. We were with our friend Ronnie Pellegrino this weekend. And we talk about the Anakin Florian podcast. And we're always trying to make the show better. Always trying to make the show better and make the main event challenge better. And my brother always bemoans the fact that you don't like having to pick fights, nor do a lot of these analysts, right? It is a cornerstone of the program. And now we are on the DraftKings network. And you've been making picks, though, on this show in the main event challenge since this show's inception, essentially. So it is nothing new. But we are trying to come up with creative ways, I think, for 2024 so that... A, it's a better reflection of how you would do at the actual window, and B, right. so it's not so uh, just pick heavy for Genflow because it is tight. difficult. Very it tight. is a very difficult thing, and uh, I do think mathematically there's a way to come up with something that, uh, you know, 
is a scoring close fight. There's a lot of different things we can do. Abstaining, uh, multiple unit plays, proposition bets, but uh, our listenership, we always value your input as well. But yes, Ken Flo was on Valentina Shevchenko and uh, was unable to cash that ticket. A lot to get into today. Of course, we will recap the UFC's first Noche UFC. I have a lot of respect for the Mexican combat sports fan because, well, for myriad reasons, but I started my career as a combat sports journalist, as a boxing radio guy, and I had the absolute privilege to cover so many HBO pay-per-views with the Mouthpiece Boxing Radio Show. And so I got to go to so many fights involving Juan Manuel Marquez and Eric Morales and Marco Antonio Barrera, my personal favorite. And, you know, it just uh, you really sort of get a sense for who Mexicans are and the way they nationally support their athletes. And certainly as Americans, at times we bemoan the fact that we don't have more of that patriotism. Uh, and instead it's, you know, Boston versus New York and everything else. But um, man, it was a festive atmosphere for Noche UFC. And it was capstone by an outstanding championship contest between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. And, uh, you know, I guess we can talk about the martial arts first. And then maybe if we could uh, talk about Mike Bell. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, you know, I share fucking shuttles with these guys, right? So, uh, you know, I do consider Mike Bell an acquaintance and a good man. And, uh, but yes, a lot to get into, Ken Flo. What did you think about what was a really entertaining, high level mental and physical chess match between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko that ultimately ends in a split draw? I think this is a good approach. Start. Let's start with the fight itself. The fight itself was tremendous. I think that both ladies had awesome moments in that fight. I thought it was highly technical. I think it was very interesting to see the adjustments that Valentina Shevchenko made heading into that fight. Clearly her boxing was way more on point than it was in the first time around against Grasso. And I think Grasso made some really nice improvements of her own as well. Perhaps not as consistently uh, and thoroughly as Valentina Shevchenko, but um, I, I thought that when they had their moments they really tried to capitalize. So as far as, you know, bringing that energy, bringing that high level of technical skill, I think it delivered on all fronts. And of course, we had a lot of drama as well. A lot of drama within the martial arts, within rounds. Round three seemed to be the tightest submission of the fight, despite this public narrative about round five. And certainly in the final minute of the fight, when Valentina Shevchenko makes a mistake, surprisingly again, and allows Alexa Grasso to get a submission attempt late in the fight. It wasn't nearly as tight, or so it appeared, than the guillotine in round three that Shevchenko had Grasso in. And if you listen to the commentary, Dominic Cruz doesn't trot out there that's tight two or three times unless he really believes without a shadow of a doubt that it's tight. And Daniel Cormier, the same thing. And in round five, you could hear DC saying, you can't see the lock. I also watched some content from Demetrius Johnson in that third round, Kenny. And, you know, he thought that fight was going to be over right there at that point in time. So I don't even know what question I'm asking you. But uh, what did you make of round three and how close the fight was to ending there, how it compares to round five, when maybe because of the nature of when that happened, everybody thought uh, Valentina Shevchenko maybe was fighting for her life when she wasn't necessarily. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's an astute observation. And not only was it a guillotine, it was a guillotine from the mount position, which is totally, totally different than, say, a guillotine from guard or half guard, right? So you're talking about a very dominant position with the mount and that 
guillotined from mount. Now, I thought that the squeeze, uh, meaning the grip around the neck, was very tight. There's a slight positioning, uh, something that I learned very recently, actually, from Mr. Ryan Hall, where the position wasn't quite where it needed to be. Uh, meaning the head and neck position in relation to the body of Valentina Shevchenko. However, you don't always have to be there to finish that choke because of that squeeze. The squeeze was tight. Make no mistake about it. It was constricting the blood vessels of Alexa Grasso. Now, um, I think that absolutely was a much tighter submission than the submission that we saw Grasso have Shevchenko in when she had her back. The angle, again, was not all the way there. The squeeze wasn't all the way there. It was kind of on the jaw a little bit. And, of course, we saw that submission the first time around that you don't have to have it around the neck. But we're talking a completely different thing. This was not a locked-in rear naked choke. So I think that's extremely important, and it highlights – how much worse that 10-8 call was by Mr. Bell. So, Zhang Wei Li versus Joanna Yeon Jacek, this was not. But gosh, if I'm not just overflowing with buckets of respect for this fight and these two fighters, right? You just knew going into this rematch that Valentina Shevchenko was going to have one of those fuck you training camps at Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand for three months and come back an improved version and as focused as humanly possible. I mean, she was absolutely ready for war. And Alexa Grasso, I mean, gosh, if she wasn't ready to compete, just cardiovascularly and mentally and otherwise, like so locked in, so confident in our fighter meeting that she was going to find a submission or find a finish over these 25 minutes and, uh, you know, I do believe when you watch back the fight in totality, for me, that Valentina Shevchenko won the fight and won three rounds of it. I did go back through round four and took notes as I watched the fight, which obviously when I'm calling the fight, Kenny, is not an opportunity that I'm afforded. And uh, yeah. I think round four is where this fight should have swung. And unfortunately, because of this 10-8 in round five, this is not the uh, the round in which this fight swung. So... Round four for you, Kenny. I know you didn't have the benefit of watching it back, but you know a few of my notes. Shevchenko won the first two minutes, striking in her jab. Grasso lands these big knees to the head. She gets a takedown. Didn't really do necessarily much with it. There was a mistake there. Uh, Valentina did end up on top there. Then Shevchenko, with an elbow, opens up a cut at the 140 mark. And these are just some of these awful notes in front of me. Uh, Shevchenko takedown zero really with it, but she does land a big right hook in combination late in the round. And for me, uh, it was round four, Valentina Shevchenko, DC and I kind of not argued about it off the air respectfully. I looked at him. I was like, really, you know, and, and he was right. Yes, there is an argument to be made for Alexa Grasso in that fourth round, but I didn't see it that way. And Sean Sheehan actually made an argument for Shevchenko 10, nine in round five, Kenny, right? Never mind a 10, eight. So, yeah. uh, what do you have for us on that on all that, champ? Yeah, I, I would disagree with DC on that as well. Um, there's always an argument to be made. Is it a good argument? Is a different question. But uh, yeah, I, listen. I think that this was a great demonstration of who these two women are. Meaning, we saw exactly who they are now. Shevchenko, very well rounded. She's good everywhere, right? But when it goes bad, it can kind of go bad. And then you have someone like. Grasso, who is not as well-rounded as far as not as complete. However, she is more potent of a fighter than Shevchenko, in my opinion. She's more of a finisher. 
that she's a, she's a she has that killer instinct. I think a little bit more than Shevchenko in some ways. So when she has op- her opportunities to submit or knock you out, it seems like she goes for it a little bit more than Shevchenko. So we saw those aspects of their game, of their personality, of their game in that fight. Um, and, and in regards to the scoring. I had it three rounds to two for Shevchenko. I did not have any 10-8 rounds anywhere. <laughs> um, and, and Cody just put a note in, in the chat. Out of four, about 1,400 cards, 1.4% have a 10-8 uh, scorecard. I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm interpreting that correctly, but not to say that just because that is the case that there should be a 10-8 in some fight, but they are rare, right? They're rare for a reason because you don't see that kind of a mismatch over the course of a round too, too often. And again, if you're look, let's say let's go back to the Israel Adesanya fight. I would have had a much easier time if someone said, hey, Strickland won that first round 10-8 than I would with round five. Even that would be a little bit of a stretch in some ways, but the fact that they had a 10-8 round in round five is just it's just very uh very confusing, very frustrating for me. So the scoring criteria, we know it to be flawed. We know the judges don't have nearly as many tools as as referees and commentators, but because we don't have half points, judges have to be more liberal handing out these 10-8s to differentiate between 10-9 rounds. Now, that doesn't mean they do things that fly in the face of the criteria to do so, right? It's very simple when you're trying to determine a 10-8 round. It's dominance, duration, damage. And if you start with dominance, Kenny, in round five, it was not a dominant round for Alexa Grasso. So I'm not even going to get to duration and damage. Is that okay? Oh, 100. No, 100 percent. I think that's accurate. And even the shots that she was throwing, I'm getting really excited. Uh, Even the shots that Grasso was throwing from Mount largely were being deflected by the arms of Shevchenko in those. If you go back and look, a lot of those shots are are skimming off the arm of Shevchenko. So these aren't heavy shots that are landing, that are rocking Shevchenko and almost putting her out. Like if that was the case and she's like her head's bouncing off the canvas, you know, eyes kind of going in and out, looks like she's not responding. Well, I would say maybe. But not even that, John. And, and I think you you put it beautifully and simply. Absolutely, there's there is no you know high duration of dominance uh, or any of that. So I yeah. don't know. It's confusing. I love Alexa Grasso. I really do. I have no problem with her still being the champion in a close fight. I I hope they run this one back. Francisco Grasso is my coach of the year. I've determined that on September 18th. Uh, But I do think that Valentina Shevchenko got a shit done in this fight that she is not being given credit for, even in that fifth round. And I'm not going to waste too much of our time here today arguing a 10-9 Shevchenko in round five because I certainly had round five for Alexa Grasso. But everything was heightened by... Everything that was going on in that building and that that was the fifth minute of, of the fight. And Mike Bell got way would lean way too much into all of that. I mean, Valentina Shevchenko landed some very significant shots of her own in this f- fifth round, including a big right hook late. She caused further damage to a cut that she opened up in the fourth round that maybe some people don't want to give her credit for. So I'm certainly yeah. not going to waste my breath arguing on either side of round four. It was close. I thought watching it live that it was a clear Shevchenko round. I understand if people want to be on the Grosso side there, but this 10-8 can flow, right? Yeah. Even in a close fight is, is indefensible. And for those people out there that argue 
that John McCarthy and others, right, that there are only eight to 10 elite judges in the world and Mike Bell is one of them. Well, give me some non-elite judges. Page and all the fucking non-elite judges out there. Give me all the pretty good judges and let's go five wide for the judges. Put them in a back room without any fucking noise, right? Give me five wide on the judges. And I honestly think UFC President Dana White and Hunter Campbell are about the only people that, that can affect change when it comes to this. And I'm not, you know, publicly asking for my bosses to, uh, to make this happen as much as maybe I am doing exactly that. But Kenny, at this point, right short of half points, which is just seems like such an impossibility to get long-term effect, uh, long-term change with, with the rules. I just think that there's just got to be a way to just, uh, to just get more judges and to, uh, to try to figure out a way to, to lessen the margin for error and just go five wide as, as, as soon as humanly possible for the sake of the fighters. Yeah, you know, I, I I would hope that that would help solve some issues. But as we know, sometimes introducing these um, these factors can sometimes make it more complicated. I don't know. Hopefully that that is a solution. I think more than anything else, though, you know, it's a, when I'm looking at this fight and I see rounds one, three and four pretty clearly for Shevchenko and rounds two and five pretty clearly for Grasso. Uh, you know, but those are all 10, nine rounds. You know, you look yeah. at the consistency of how it is. So to me, the 10, eight round almost seemed like a makeup call in some ways. You know, I, I don't I don't know if that's the case. I'm not I'm not trying to levy anything against Mr. Bell here, but I don't know. It, it was just odd. It was odd because it was completely unwarranted. There, There's no consistency. And I guess my other question, John, is when when you guys are talking about how judges are encouraged to look for 10-8 rounds uh, i guess um more liberally is is that is that is that is that so correct there now, was a time the, sorry go ahead and no and we talked to Sean Sheen about this there was a time probably 2 years ago where you saw 10-8 being handed out more liberally and then okay. for whatever reason there was a pullback on that unfortunately right this wouldn't even qualify, though, in that time, right? Yeah. Two years ago when we right. were handing 10-8s out liberally. This is, this is a really historically awful singular round card. And I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm really speechless, right? I'm really, truly speechless because, uh, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, to, no, John, nothing. And, and this is kind of what, what bugs me. You know, I think about, you know, certain bad luck or certain things that happened to me before a fight, during a fight, whatever. And but this one, this one, if I'm Valentina Shevchenko, this one hurts, man. I mean, there were there were a few fights where I literally did not sleep and I just kind of replay the fight in my head over and over again and just try to figure out what the heck happened or just I, I don't know. Um that's gotta be one of the ones for Shevchenko where I I just I wouldn't be able to sleep for a long time over that one because she did everything right. You know, yeah, there were a couple mistakes here and there and, and kudos goes out to Grasso for fighting her ass off and fighting an amazing fight on her own. But I don't know, man. And then I hear some fans like, well, you need to, you, you know, the old you need to take it. You need to beat the champ convincingly. Shut up. That is not the way that works. Stop repeating some old boxing thing that commentators said from 30, 40 years ago. Okay? That is not the way it works. If you win more rounds than the other person, that's it. They win. Over. 
Can you actually believe that there was a time in boxing when I was like, hey, close round, and I guess I'll just give it to the champ. <laughs> yeah, we'll just give it to the champ. That is insane. Yeah. You know? yeah. oh, you know, Usain Bolt didn't really – he only won by .01. Let's just call it a draw. Let's just say the other guy did really well because it was super close and, you know, like the other person was the champ. So I don't know. It, it, it's so silly. So earlier in the night, Josephine Knutson beat Marnik Mann – Badly, Mike Bell gave every round a 10-8, right? So he is one of the more liberal 10-8 users out there. And yeah. that, to me, is a positive thing because this scoring system doesn't give you a great point of differentiation when it comes to the 10-9 round. So I like that historically he's doing that. But in a title fight, right, you can't have a makeup call here. I've even oftentimes yeah. said, man, it kind of would be nice if they could score the fight in totality, right? You don't want them bailing themselves out with a draw right. in this situation. But yeah, maybe in retrospect, he thought, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. I gave Shevchenko that fourth round, but he kept waffling on that. And then for yeah. some reason... I don't know if it was the crowd or what, but, and I will say too, Dominic Cruz really is right. I, you know, I don't, I feel like if you're a referee or a judge, man, you gotta, you really gotta know the grappling. You really have to know the grappling. Yes. No question about it, man. And I think that sometimes we see certain positions and we go, well, she took her back. The other one was mounted. It's the same thing, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. Not all submission attempts are created equal. Not even close. And, and I think that is a very important distinction there, John. Absolutely. Cody just wrote, they also have to know the striking, the difference of a hard head shot and a blocked head shot. Yes, but for commentators, I can attest with the striking. It goes so quickly. You try to watch both fighters. You try to pay off strikes on both sides. You know, sometimes that even can be inexact, whereas the choke is more definable that uh, it's not tight or it is and you got yep. all this nonsense you got 19,000 Mexicans who believe that Alexa Grasso is about to choke out Valentina and then DC aptly says you can't see the lock right nor can right. 18 five of those 19,000 right so, and, and it's interesting because if you are in a uh, highly biased crowd right and you have a almost submission which isn't very tight and the crowd goes nuts and you have Shevchenko with a very tight submission and the crowd is completely silent that could absolutely influence things because yes. you think there's something more going on than there actually yeah. is now again there's a ton of factors involved and this is not an easy job don't get me wrong right but as far as consistency of how we've been looking at 10-8 rounds have they been scored traditionally and and even over the course of this actual fight it's just not a 10-8 round yeah what's that so oftentimes I think that the most qualified guys and women to judge these fights are our scorers, right? The guys at 30 to 27 that have worked so hard for so many years watching this stuff with such a fine eye. And when you hear those individuals make the argument as to what is a submission attempt and what isn't, right? Obviously, if they were in a room with Ryan Hall, they would defer to him, but <laughs> right. they're pretty stingy, right? And yeah. I think largely with good reason because there's guys out there like Ken Flo, like, yeah, it's not even a submission attempt. So, okay. <laughs> but that's why I always say I prefer to have a jujitsu analyst to my right, Joe Rogan, Laura Sanko, right? Dominic Cruz. I mean, we have a ton of great ones. Obviously, Ken Flo used to be to my right. Oh, but yeah. it, uh, it, it is a really hard thing. Right. I hope this doesn't inspire everybody in the comments to say, you know, who needs to go back to jujitsu class, John Anik, because uh, <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs>
you know, but no, I mean, I do think there's, you know, we have monitors, right? There's yeah. so many different arguments you can be made as to what we can do to affect change when it comes to judging. Uh, and again, it isn't so much a, a huge issue with a split draw. It's that we arrive there with one of the worst singular round scores that I've ever seen. And it came in a championship fight. And uh, I have some. Yeah. So I was listening to Sean Sheehan's <clears throat> severe MMA podcast. Graham, yep. his co-host, did a great job. Sorry, I don't know your surname. But he said this was a direct quote. He said something to the effect of, you know, a judge being this incompetent in a title fight is a problem. And we all need to do whatever we can to figure out a, a solution, right? And I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what we do about all that. But uh, I guess we have a rematch. That's what we have. A third fight. That's what we do, right? Uh, yes, but yes, talk but. to me. They don't always. Graham come McDonald. Graham McDonald. There go we ahead, go. Ken they don't always come to fruition, right? It's because this one person gets injured, then another person gets injured. It's like. <clears throat> You know, Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov were supposed to fight for a while too. You know, it's like sometimes these things. I hope, I hope that's what happens, and I hope that both ladies stay healthy and we're able to see that trilogy because it is absolutely warranted. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate all the way around, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens, man. But that is the solution. It's just have these ladies fight for a third time. I just, as I said, so much respect for both athletes and the way they approach this now rivalry. And uh, yeah, you can argue if you're Aaron Blanchfield and Manon Fior, this is a little bit annoying. This is the one result that maybe you would not want to have is something indecisive like this. Maybe you would have preferred Grosso finality or even a Shevchenko finish. One yep. thing that I did want to go back to before we move along. So you said Alexa Grosso. <clears throat> Alexa Grasso is more of a finisher. And then you sort of went on to talk about her killer instinct. Yeah. And I find it interesting because when I was handicapping this fight beforehand, one of the things that we were talking about up in this beautiful penthouse suite, shout out to Big Ron, just rolling out the goddamn red carpet. <laughs> I was at Virgin Hotels. The UFC put me up there and he upgraded me to uh, this pretty small suite right below him. And then I was nice. just, you know, up and down all weekend. Just, But I will say, as somebody who spent 1,200 nights a year on the road over the last 12 years, to have that type of square footage to prepare, to prepare at a dining room table, right, overlooking the strip, uh, it was very liberating and a great setting in which to complete that back-to-back, -back, for me, at least awesome. professionally speaking. So, but Alexa Grasso, more of a finisher. And then you went on to talk about the killer instinct. And we know historically that Alexa Grasso is not more of a finisher on paper than Valentina right. Shevchenko. Right. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I got, I'm going somewhere. However cloudy-headed, I'm going somewhere here. So Alexa Grasso has never had a knockout in the UFC. But two of her last three wins have come by submission against Joanne Wood and Valentina Shevchenko. And you can't judge Alexa Grasso as finisher based upon the body of work. Because this version right now is fucking lethal. Even if you want to say the knockdown was partially a byproduct in round two of Valentina Shevchenko being off balance, right? She was athletically able to flip and immediately recovered, right? But that's a knockdown. And Alexa Grasso has developed her power and is the best striker she's ever been. And as a grappler, I'm sure even you and your buddy Ryan Hall would attest, she's a real motherfucker in that realm right now. Defensively, offensively, Diego Lopez, a real problem as well. Yep. So... Alexa Grasso right now is probably the more potent finisher, right, at this stage of their careers, which may be the crazy saying. But, you know, Valentina Shevchenko, in my mind, won this fight largely with her jab. 
Absolutely, dude. I think that's spot on. And that's kind of what I'm alluding to. It's, you know, I, I statistics don't always define what's going on, right? And I think that if you look at the way that they fight, Shevchenko is going out there to outpoint you. If she gets you hurt, then absolutely she's going to try to take you out. Whereas Grasso is trying to hurt you almost all the time. And when she does, she's trying to take you out right there. So as, as far as their approach, right, it's just a, a, a different style as for, for both of those ladies. But uh, it was an awesome fight and um, just unfortunate with that controversy at the end. Both women essentially went right back into training camp. Alexa Grasso took two weeks off. And uh, I think for Alexa Grasso to be able to retain, this is nice because maybe she can catch a little bit more of a respite. For Shevchenko, this is tough, right? Because she has to continue to live her life as the former champion and put in another training camp, not unlike the one she just put in. And uh, it is hard to do that. But Valentina Shevchenko at 34 years of age, I believe. I have my notes right here. Talks. 35 years of age. She talks like a fighter who's going to be around for some time. So um, congratulations to both women on uh, a fight they'll be talking about uh, deep into uh, the weeks to come. All right, so I'm trying to buy tickets. Patriots, Dolphins down here. It's actually getting easier, right? Because the Patriots fans are about to punt on the season after what happened in the first meeting between these two teams. But a lot of these ticket sites just make it annoying. Losing tickets you think are yours. Process shouldn't be a hassle. And that's why Game Time has arrived. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the game or the UFC live event or anything else. Game Time app. I was on there this morning. Exceedingly well laid out. Perhaps Game Time's best asset, though, the ability to access and buy last-minute tickets whenever you want to. You can also get seat views if that's your thing. Event cancellation protection. Have you ever not been reimbursed when a concert gets called off? Raise your hand. You don't have to worry, though. Game Time is here, and the Game Time guarantee means you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row somewhere else for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code AFPOD for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code AFPOD for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, let us get to uh, the star of the program, the recovering from hip surgery, Raymond Peter Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Great to see you. How's your hip? Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia, to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. 
How are we doing? It's getting there, John. It's getting there. We, bo- we booked your physician. Ex- it's a boring existence. Your, what was that? Your physician is, we booked your physician on the show Thursday. Who's that? To talk about. We booked, oh yeah, he's like, I don't have a primary care physician. <laughs> so no, how are we doing? How's the hip going? You had the surgery in late August. So you're about three weeks in. When I was in Australia and all the noise, I sort of buried the lead, but I'm really curious how you're doing and uh, when we can expect to see you back in a UFC or mixed martial arts corner. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, definitely longer than I thought. So it's three weeks. I mean, you know, I went to the gym yesterday, but I I just can't do much. So yeah, I just did it to uh, go watch some people work out, and that was it. Yeah. You know, but but it's a long long process than I thought, John. Yeah, thanks. I know I feel same thing. I feel good. I just, you know, I'm limited to what I could do. I still have a lot of restrictions. You know, you can't bend past 90 degrees, so you can't pick something up off the floor. You can't get your socks on, you know. Yeah. It's one of those things. That, you know, I'm telling you the things you never hear from the people that have hip surgery. I, I, I thought I'd be running around, Kenny, in two weeks. Once that got shot down, I had to take a different approach. So I'm in for the long, yeah. I'm in for the, I'm in for the long game now. I'm well, with you, man. I'm impatient. So, yeah, yeah. This, if you're impatient, this is the worst thing. Trust me. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, whatever. Let's talk about a bright and well, let's talk about that ten. Yeah, brown. no, we're going to. There is uh there is a light at the end of the tunnel, though, and we wish you all the best yeah. as you continue on the men. There is a little bit of a delay now. I only bring it up in the context of the Ray Longo Minutemen, who perpetually think that I am cutting you off when it's just a delay on your connection or your phone and these people are coming at me. So I'm going to pause deliberately today, pregnantly to make sure that you have the floor. Wow. Okay. That's good. But I think I'm interrupting you though, because you know, I can't hold it. Kenny, I can't hold the thought for more than two seconds. I think just goes into a black hole somewhere. So what do we got? We got Charlie Campbell coming out guns blazing. Another guy in the UFC. We got too many guys in the UFC now. I don't like it. I like the old days. Three, three, four. Now we got like 10. So so before you and Ken Flo go back and forth on the 10-8, let us talk about Charlie the Cannibal Campbell. You talk about being ready to make a UFC debut. He told us in the fighter meeting that the UFC contract slipped through his fingers, essentially, when he fought Chris Duncan, the kid from Scotland, and started well and and then got unceremoniously knocked out. But, man, Charlie looked ready to go, Ray. And uh, congratulations, got the bonus and everything else. Yeah, nice. I mean, look, he's uh, he loves to fight. That's for one thing. The kid really does love to fight. So I think he's in the right spot. He'll be a good fit for the UFC too because I think he'll be jumping in and just fighting you know whenever so uh sounds good so how about him cutting that promo too and Cody I just saw your note that would have been great Cody suggested Ray that I ask you about Charlie Campbell and say what'd you think of Charlie Campbell doesn't matter what you think of Charlie Campbell Ray (laughs) yeah but the kid can cut a promo too and he's so it really does speak to who he is Kenny that he'll just cut a promo on DC like that Uh, uh, DC should have dumped him right on his head (laughs) <laughs> he, he, kind, he kind of alluded to it too like I'll let, this is your first time in the octagon I'll let you live I think that's what he said yeah. but uh yeah you know you know that shit I could all do without that that I 
couldn't give a shit about. Well, thank God DC didn't dump him on his head because yeah. that would have been very WWE esque. And uh, thankfully, it wasn't me doing the interview because that reference would have been lost on me. So. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I had I had no idea what it was either. To be honest, he yeah. he told us that it was the Rock. Yeah. All right. Ten eight. Alexa Grasso in round five, and then the judge handed that in on a piece of paper, effectively changing the lives of these two athletes forever. I got to tell you, absolutely horrendous. And horrendous more for the, I mean, I I, I tell you, it's hard not to think conspiracy with this. No, Kenny? I mean, a 10-8 in a fight that really was close, and what a competitive, great fight. Loved, I, I, I actually look. It was a good fight. It could have went either way, but that there should have been a winner in that fight. It shouldn't have came down to that because, uh, and I, and I did think Valentina won the fight, but I wasn't really judging it. But I think Grasso had the big those moments, like everything would be going good for Valentina, then one slip up and she's in bad shape. But I thought for the most part, Valentina came out a different person. Like you could talk about it, you know, it was like she said, no destruction. You could see she was focused. She honestly thought she won, and I think that's the real tragedy of this. I thought I did think she won the fight. Uh, great fight on both people, absolutely great fight. But man, uh, the ten eight at that junction to change it, just man, that is that just smells rotten to me, man. I don't I don't know what else to say. There's something. Right. Yeah, go ahead, Kenny. How do you feel as a coach seeing a 10-8 like that, you know, heading into corner a guy, you know, whenever you're going to be ready? So how does that make you feel as a coach, number one, seeing a 10-8 score like that? And then what do you tell a fighter that did everything possible to win that fight, won the fight, and then still didn't get the win? Uh, man, those are the injustices. Listen, it go. It always is going to go back to you can only control how you react to it, right? I mean, it, we come down to the same thing all the time. So Valentina's now got to react to what they've given us. You can't control it. And uh, that's all you could say, man. I mean, I that was, you know, that's not because it was such a competitive fight. It's kind of getting overlooked. But that that's a, that's a travesty, man. I mean, he yeah. took that win away from that girl with something that is ballsy as shit to do. And there's no way you could have thought that was a 10-8 round. I, I don't give I a think shit. he's going to have to issue a statement. Yeah, I mean. I think he's going to have to issue a statement. See, the problem is there's enough wiggle room in there where you could do that shit and come out with something and I, somebody's going to go, eh, maybe, eh, okay. You know, yeah, but, like even if it was a 10-8 round, it would have been ballsy to give her a 10-8 yeah, round. Yeah, right, right. In that <laughs> fight. Right? It's like, in that, great point. In that freaking fight, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing to, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Valentina, she had the guillot- mounted guillotine at one point, too. That yes. looked pretty freaking tight. Why is that? Right. A, you know, why is that not a 10-8? Like, Kenny, you're right. Yeah, it's bad. It's actually bad. Really bad. For a lot of reasons. Even if this was a borderline 10-8 yeah. round. Yeah. That's like a pull-out-your-testicle situation yeah. to go 10-8 round five. For it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Oh, my God. You could come home. My girlfriend's going to be like, Mike, what have we done? Yeah. The what only, have we done tonight? The only thing that could have saved Bell is if the other two judges had it for Valentina. Exactly. Or, or the or Grasso. Or Alexa. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know right. what I mean? Where, but, man, I, I tell you, I, that's a tough one, man. That's so, a real uh, tough one. I want to 
These are my text messages from Ray Longo on uh, Saturday night. I got three of them. First one, insanity. Wow, I don't know what that's in relation to. The next one said, damn, Dom Cruz is relentless, LOL. And the next one is, <laughs> and the next one says, 10-8, insane. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, Cruzy was on one as usual. What a fucking no, no, stud, no, no. Huh? He don't, he don't, he, you're never going to stop him. It's impossible. This is, this, By the way. This will never end, Kenny. Never, ever end. By the way, this is kind of unrelated, but uh, my daughter was watching a little bit of the fights with me, and the Toyo Tires commercial came on, and she was blown away by the fact that John Anik and Dominic Cruz, who were at our house, like they knew, she knew that you guys did TV stuff, but when she saw you do a commercial, she's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that they do commercials. You know, like she was blown away. Anyway, she... You've earned her respect, by the way. Let's go, true. Yeah, but yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. Kenny, isn't that isn't that awesome though? Where they, yeah. they have those moments where they, I think, I think that's what yeah, it's all yeah. about, man. She I was love blown it. away. It's like, oh my gosh, they do commercials. Yeah, but uh, but right, anyway, so, Cruz, no Cruz, you gotta love him. You actually have to love him. No, you yeah. have to. You yeah, yeah you actually now, have now to. It's, going, <laughs> it's gone. It's gone so far over to the other side. It's that the, the shtick is unbelievable at this point. Even even DC tries to back out of there with some grace. He doesn't let him off the hook. He just yeah. keeps pounding him. But uh, I tell you, what, first off, in in defense of uh, the referee too, I, the way his arm, I, I know it wasn't a choke. Or Can you I just but, set up the context? Yeah, let me just set oh, the yeah, context oh, yeah. up Sorry real quickly that. for. Yeah. So no, you're good. So. There was a preliminary fight at flyweight Edgar Chires, Daniel Lacerda. There was a submission up against the fence, and the referee got involved. Premature stoppage, overturned to a no contest. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was just the way that guy dropped his arm was kind of the way somebody, when they go out, just it just goes from like a one position to just going limp. So not that that means anything, but if that guy's in there to protect people and he doesn't want to see anybody get choked for too long. Whatever was running through his head, I, I, I think, I think that's a lesser offense than the ten eight. That's all I'm saying. I do too, I, I, Kenny. I really can don't. I ask you I about that? Saw, do you? He reacted to something, you know. Kenny, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this? I did not. All right. So Chris Tognoni was the referee, and okay. one of my broadcast partners, who shall remain nameless, texted me that. Perhaps Lacerda played the game and faked it. He was getting limp when the ref pulled him off. I agree, let him sleep, but he was doing stupid shit. Now, that is the minority opinion. Most people believe that you have to stay calm in that situation. You can't be worried about giving the referee a thumbs up. You're trying to you know, stay present defensively. Uh, I do think they got it right overturning it, Ray, but... Uh, I do think it speaks to something we were talking about earlier is that especially when it comes to the blood chokes, the, the referees really need to be put in those at the very least put in those chokes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a very different thing than being in a joint lock where you could do permanent damage to a joint as opposed to the neck where again, we're not, we're not trying to hold that for a long periods of time to, to put it out, put them out and, and create any kind of brain damage. But, you know, a choke, and this is the big misconception, a choke is way safer, way safer of a control mechanism than, say, a joint lock for a lot of different reasons. So I think that's one of those things where you can kind of let it go. But I agree. Again, I haven't seen it. But if you are looking like you're out or looking like you're limp, then you, you kind of don't give too many options to, to the ref at hand, right? 
I, yeah, I think that one was a little, I think Dom is really on point. I'm not disagreeing, but he, I, I could, you could at least understand why the ref did what he did. And, and John, to whoever texted you that, I wouldn't put that past that kid. I right. wouldn't put it past him. You don't know what's right. run through these guys' minds. You just don't know. And uh, they'll, they'll game the system any way they can, you know? Uh, yeah. Look, I thought even uh, and that, and it wasn't even close. I don't think I thought Grasso got kneed in the head illegally. Not not Grasso, uh, Valentina. Once she had a hand on the floor, but I guess it wasn't weight bearing. That's a tough call to make. But you know, yep. certainly Valentina didn't think she could get kneed, and then she had to deal with that. So you right. know, uh, yeah, it's it. Look, it's it, it's tricky. As as long as you have something to react off of, whether you're right or wrong, I think at least you're trying to do your job. You know, and that that all. Yeah. Definitely swung down. Who the hell knows? Maybe something else happens. You don't know, man. So you can't choke a guy like that. But maybe something else happens with him and his arm goes limp. I don't know. Yeah. But the way that arm went down, it looked like it looked like he was was out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Dominic Cruz is a hundred percent right. But you're starting to ask for a lot, you know. But yeah, you can and put the refs in those chokes all you want. They'll just probably stop the fight quicker, Kenny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now Edgar, it's like the yeah. Now Edgar Chira is probably going to have to go to Sao Paulo in November to fight Daniel Lacerda in Brazil. Uh, it is too bad at times that they can't like restart that fight, but they certainly can't because they can't put the dude back in the submission. I guess they could, but you're not going to do that. All right. Yeah. Raul Rosas Jr., Ray Longo, I've been dying to ask you about the 18-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. Now, you can be a minus 700 favorite against Terrence Mitchell, but it's another thing to go out and do it at 18 years of age. And I say to this audience all the time, like I was such an idiot when I was 27. Now, in many respects, my kids would tell you I'm a lunatic at 45. I'm completely unhinged, right? Like I really am a psychopath in a lot of ways. But 18 years of age to be competing in this setting with an entire nation behind you on this night in particular, you still got to go out and do it. And then as a submission guy, to go knock a motherfucker out like that. What do you have for us? And, on, coming, uh, and coming back all, uh, after a devastating loss, you know, there's a lot. Yeah. I, I like what I saw out of that kid. I really do. He came out guns blazing. He put that other loss behind him. Uh, again, I think they matched him up really well, uh, which is a big part of everything. A lot of guys don't get that opportunity, but he got the opportunity and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He got rid of that guy. So, right. uh, you know, Kenny, it's a tricky thing. You could match guys up to where they're never going to make it. You know what I mean? They know, but they gave them, they gave, they, they like, you, you could tell the guys they like, you know, the pin blitz and yes. uh, they always get like a favorable matchup. So, um, yeah, I like what I saw though, man. He came out guns blazing. His, his stand up looked better. He definitely was more confident on his feet. He was going forward. Uh, I think he did exactly what a young kid in his position had to do. I, 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 I really liked it. And the last fight I really didn't like, you could see he got, he got yeah. exposed and that, that, that could happen again. But you know, if you, if you're learning every time you're losing, like they always say, I mean, and I think he's in a good spot cause, uh, you know, he's not taking damage and yeah, what a I mean, 18 years old, that that's, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy yeah. to handle all that pressure. I think the kid, I give, him a, I give him an A plus on that. Gets his mom out of his corner, Kenny, and he's ready to kill a man. But it does harken me back to the high school all-star photograph of Kenny Florian, does it not? Right? Because you're talking about, you know, 16 years of age. 
couple years later, that's Kenny Florian versus Raul Rosas Jr. Like, give me Raul Rosas Jr. Well, Let I tell you, I don't know. Let me tell you, know. that Kenny Florian right there would have folded like fresh laundry. Right? I'll tell you, that's 18 years I, old. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He was immature. Look at you him. Almost look, where are you? What is that? Is that your headshot from the Lords of Flatbush audition you had? <laughs> I think I was like looking 15, at? 16 years old. I'm Holy crow. Yeah. Do you know what that is, Ray? Have we not told you what that is? That Flatbush reference went way over my head. <laughs> Did it what really? is that? What is I that? Think it was, I think it was Stallone's first movie. You know, one of those old 50s movies that was great. Man, the I Lords of that. Flatbush? No, but nothing. I saw it. I saw it. Oh, see, that's good. You, geez, you got, I mean, Ken Flo born 1976, long oh. ago, significantly before that. Let long ago, you born early 60s or what? Or are you born in the 50s? 50s. So who are we talking to today, right? I mean, I'm not the pop culture police. They show celebrities on TV all the time on these UFC <laughs> telecasts. I have no idea who these people are. But gosh, man, I'm sure all your Minutemen will defend no, that reference every day. Of the I'm week. basically, basically talking to myself. That's what I'm doing. Uh, I do think for Raul Rosas Jr. It's Instagram, Instagram. It's interesting because I was on his Instagram after the fight and he's got all these live shots, all these women, you know, like just this kid with the, you know, the entourage maybe isn't quite all the time, like 20 deep or whatever, but Cody just writes in the chat, you know, his biggest obstacle is going to be, what goes on between the ears. And I do think that the Christian Rodriguez fight was huge for him in terms of the mental, because he just doesn't want to experience that feeling again, but my goodness, like, you know, women, right? Yeah. Between two obstacles, right between the ears and like probably the opposite sex will be something that he's going to have to navigate because if the world Ooh. is his oyster, as far as that is concerned at 18 years of age as professional athlete, you know, just gotta be careful. So I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, fame. I think so. Money, I, I think you. I think you. Women. Women will take you down. They could. They could be. You know. They could be good for you. or They could be bad for you. So he'll. He, he's going to learn that lesson real quick. Maybe you guys should go on his Instagram later and check out some of those. Uh, <laughs> Raul Rosas Jr. lives. All right, let's talk about the co-main oh, wow. event. Can we do that? Can we do that? Yeah. Jack Della Madalena over Kevin Holland by split decision. Ken Flo, I'll. Uh, I'll have you lead us off, kid. Gosh, I, I nailed another Kevin Holland uh, prediction, didn't I? Uh, no, I did not. I can't get one correct. I, I jinxed myself for the last pick because I said it. I, I don't know which Kevin Holland is going to show up. There's certain nights where he looks absolutely phenomenal. He's maximizing his use of range and length, and he's mixing up his strikes. And then in this one, he just wasn't as active as I had hoped he would be. And I also think, you know, I thought it was a very close fight, but I yeah, do yeah. think he allowed Madalena, Della Madalena, to really lead the dance a little bit too much. And some of those shots weren't landing, but it doesn't look good if you're just shelling up, you know, going backwards, letting someone throw shots on you, even if they're not landing or if it's skimming off the forearms or whatever. You have judges that may not be seeing those certain angles and, and don't know what's what and looks like you're moving and you're actually getting hit, hit with shots. Now, he also got hit with shots, too, which which doesn't help. But I think that he he just allowed Jack De La Madalena to get a little bit 
too aggressive, to back him up a little bit too much. Um, he he certainly had his moments at Kevin Holland, but I don't think he did enough to sway the judges to go, I absolutely won that round. He kept it close, and it looked like he was fighting to preserve rounds as opposed to win rounds. And I think that's where he may have gone wrong there. And this was a huge fight for both of these men. I mean, you, you beat someone like Kevin Holland. You beat someone like JDM. Those are big wins. And I just felt like Kevin Holland kind of fell short here and in a pretty big and important spot. Yeah, that's pretty well put. I mean, that, that that's the key is like who shows up for the fight. Like you could, here's the problem. He, he's almost too talented where he's so, he gets so comfortable. He's kind of having, you know, like fun instead of looking for a W where Madalena wanted the W. So he's pressing forward and not that it was even doing anything. That's how I think how talented Kevin Holland is, but the will, the desire, that burning desire to win at any cost, you're just not seeing. You know what I mean? He's and it could be because he's he's never even in danger because he's super talented. I don't know, but you're not getting into that other gear for some reason, and that's what he's got to address. I mean, I think he's like again, super talented guy that could have won that fight. There's no question about that, but. You know, I think Jack Della, you know, JDM was the more, you know, consistent guy in that fight. And that's why you got the W. I don't yeah, know. And I, absolutely. And, and I wonder how much it has to do with these guys that, you know, perceived or, or, or not real, whatever, where they say, you know, I have to be fighting four fights a year or I, I have to fight every two months. And they have that in their head. Well, you know, we've already established this for years. It is extremely difficult to fight at a high level and be consistent with your performances. If you're expecting to fight four fights a year, period, you get one shot. So you got to make sure you're fresh, you're motivated, you're putting in a, tra a training camp, you're evolving throughout that process because, you know, it's a way different thing than, say, you know, an NFL Sunday where you have other guys that need to rely on. You know, I'm injured. Listen, the quarterback's going to have to stand up, st uh, you know, uh, step up or the wide receiver or the O-line or whatever. Like, it's just one person in there. And if you don't have a great day out there, you're screwed. Um, and yeah. I think that sometimes that busy schedule can hurt certain fighters. And I think that may have, I'm not trying to build in any excuses for anybody, but that, that may have played a factor in Adesanya. Like who's been more busy than Adesanya, like even Aljo. Aljo didn't want to fight at that time. He wanted more time to prepare. Why? Because he's smart, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it helps you out to kind of be able to have that time in between fights to recover think things out, don't get burnt out, what, whatever it is for that fighter. And um, I, I think that uh, can definitely play a factor in guys like Kevin Holland, who keeps such a busy schedule. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And the Aljo reference early is good because, you know, you could have even first-round wins. It's the camp that kills you. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's pretty grueling. I mean, guys are dropping 30 pounds. It's, it's, look, it's not good for you losing that weight like that. There's not, you're not going to get a doctor around that tells you this is a good thing to do. So the more you keep doing it and it, depending on where your weight goes after the fight, you know, which I don't know with a lot of the guys, but you know, to lose 25, 30 pounds, not, you know, and then you're going to put it right back on again. Not, not the best thing for you. How many times a year can you do that? It's like yo-yo dieting four times a year where you right. starve yourself. And you know what I mean? Like it's never going to, 
the end result is never going to be good. But, you yeah. know, everybody, everybody's individual. Everybody knows their body. Aljo's been very outspoken about it. You know, like, again, I think, you know, Aljo sometimes says the things most people want to say, but they don't. And, that, and this is one of them where he says, look, it's not easy for me to make the weight. I need another month, but nobody get nobody cares. That, that fell on deaf ears, no matter what anybody says, you know, and then, you know, then yeah. they'll entice you with more money and, you know, everything is money, money, dangle money in front of somebody. They'll do anything. You know, sometimes I'm not saying that was the case, but that's the only way you could rectify it, you know, is try to sweeten the pot a little bit because most guys don't want to do it, you know, and then, and then there's the guys that, you know, maybe aren't taking off that much weight where they don't have to go through and it's easier for them. But even for Kevin Holland and Israel Adesanya, who seem to make the weight cut look easy, you're still having to perform at that weight. And I know for Kevin Holland in particular, uh, it is a hard cut, even though he does it masterfully with Charles at the UFC PI and everything else. couple things on what you guys were talking about. Yes, for Holland, balancing activity with contention is a very difficult thing and always will be. In terms of him being detached from a singular result, a lot of our fighter meetings centered on this. Dominic Cruz was sort of pressing him on it being a strength that he doesn't perseverate on the result. But in this case, he had one, two in a row, right? He won five fights in 2020, capstone by that up kick against Jacare Souza or whatever. He won the fight off his back, whatever he did, right? Right, right. Now right. he's four, five, and one since that time. But in this fight, had he won it, it would be three in a row. And Given the way he performed against Kiesi, it kind of felt like he would bring that sort of killer instinct back. Wasn't flapping the gums as much in this fight, Ken Flo, until late was like, hey, we should train together. And then it's like, oh, there's that, you know, alter ego rearing its ugly head again. I believe that this kid has the skills and the finishing instincts to really excel and contend. But yeah, sometimes he's almost too detached from the result where he'll put himself in position to perform great training camp cuts the weight well, but winning isn't something he prioritizes as much as, uh, you know, maybe going to get tacos afterwards. I, I think that's beautifully said. You know, I think there's that balance, right? And, and I've talked to other fighters about this, of having that balance of not caring too much. You don't want to care so much that you become neurotic and you're so kind of fighting to protect that win, right? And then you kind of just yeah, don't yeah, let yeah, yourself yeah. be a fighter. And then you don't want to not care at all where now you don't give a shit if you win, lose, whatever, right? So it's like, it's really about finding that balance. And that's not an easy thing for a lot of guys, man. Um, but yeah, it's a balancing act. Yeah, and the other thing too is that, you know, what I love about the UFC, I don't care what fight you are on that card, to me, they're all championship fights. They do a great job at really, you know, uh, highlighting that to me anyway. So if you keep fighting, it's almost like you're sparring then. You, you, you lose that, the excitement of this is a huge fight. You know what I mean? You're just yeah. going in there to fight. And then it becomes more like a sparring session, which that's what it looked like to me with Kevin Hart. It looked like he was sparring Jack Delamar, you know, JDM. He didn't want to, you know, push it to the next point but you know like again only he knows those those questions and he might say we're completely wrong on that but something's something's definitely going on there well i i think there's a point there and i was talking to this about my you know talking to this with, with my wife and i was just pointing out some things that kevin holland does and you know th there's a lot of things that he does to make himself comfortable in a fight and i think that uh cowboy Cerrone used to do this a lot you know the hugs before the fist bumps yeah, 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 yeah. it's almost like a thing for 
him. He does throw you off in the process, right? He's like, hey, we're buddies. Right. We're just kind of sparring. We're just, this is a normal thing that we're doing right now. Hey, isn't this fun? And it kind of allows him to kind of go to a different place. Yes. And he can, get his, he can get his opponents to go there as well. And then he just takes advantage of them, right? So yeah, you, you kind of saw that a little bit. Even before the fight, I thought it was really smart. If you guys notice this, JDM, before the fight, he goes over and tells uh, he goes yes. over and tells Kevin Holland, we're not fist bumping before. Don't shake my hand. I'm coming out to fight because yeah. he didn't want to play by Kevin Holland's rules. But right, then right. During the fight, he kind of dragged him back into it. So anyways, I thought that was an interesting point, which kind of ties in with which I think what what Ray is talking about. Yeah, we're not touching that. gloves. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny, even the commercial he does uh, with the Wonder Boy. I think it sums up both of those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I think that, commer- I that commercial that is kind of, kind of perfect, right? Where they got the drink and they put it on there. You know, they're just two nice guys. But, yeah. you know, you got you to gotta be able to switch gears somewhere. And I think he's looks like a nice kid. I really don't know. But, you know, I think he's – he might be having too much fun or something happened, but he's got to, he's got to switch his mindset to just, you know, I got to go in and start finishing fights. And that's my only objective. All right. The Ray Longo minute every week on the Anakin Florian podcast. I will get you out of here on this 1974. The Lords of Flatbush was released. Wow. Sylvester Stallone, Henry Winkler set 1958. The coming of age story follows four lower middle class Brooklyn teenagers known as the Lords of Flatbush. The Lords chase girls, steal cars, shoot pool, get into street fights and hang out at a local malt shop. You guys both have seen that motion picture. Yes. Well, 100%. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, excuse me, man. I mean, I was born in the 70s. Jesus fucking Christ. Go back, go back and watch. It's a great it's a great period piece. The good old days where you could rob cars, get laid, steal a steal some shit off the street. Hey, go home the same day. Hey, go home right. and have some ravioli. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna that's start, what used to happen. I'm going to start calling Raul Rosas Jr. the Lord of Clovis, New Mexico. <laughs> Oh, the Lord of Clovis. I like Lord it. Lord of Clovis. His nickname is El Nino Problema, but I think the Lord of Clovis has a good ring to it. Let's get that going. Print the shirts. Raul Rosas Jr., 18 years of age, the Lord of Clovis, because Longo's quote in 1950s movies. That's right, day, baby. All right, guys, take it easy. And John, I expect a full report on the Lords of Flatbush by next week. I will watch the movie and I'll call you later, buddy. <laughs> Take it See right. I'm actually not going to call him. I'm actually not going to call him. <laughs> well, I cough it on the way out. Nice little kicker. I'm not going to call him. That was just for effect. All right, we're going to bounce it right back to the guest line. Much younger gentleman going to join us right now. And look at this guy. What's handsome up? man right there. I'm, One of the UFC's top welterweight contenders, fresh out the gym or so it appears. I'm in, I'm in the gym. I'm in, still in the gym right now. What's going on, guys? Well, if you don't know that voice or that face, he is the number nine ranked UFC welterweight out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Sean Brady. We appreciate your time, sir. How you doing? All right. I'm good, man. I just got done training with one of uh, one of your boys, Paul Felder. Oh, he, man. Uh, back in the gym, we just had uh, a hard session. I'm in the uh, back room right now, so he told me to tell you guys what's up. That's amazing. Uh, the Iron Lung potentially yeah. coming back. So I was reading about you this morning, and uh, I actually should have gone into my Sean Brady notes in my fighter card library. But So you went to school to be an auto mechanic in Northeast Philadelphia. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, my... <laughs> 
I didn't like my teacher. And then I'm like, I got to do something else. And this is kind of how, where, where I uh, ended up at kind of crazy. Do you remember when you sort of, and I'm asking you to be a little bit maybe conceited here, but do you remember when you felt like in your mind, like not only could I be a good fighter, but I can be a great fighter. I mean, I've heard Paulie talk about you superlatively yeah. strongest guy he's ever felt. <clears throat> when did it click in your mind that, you know, not only could I be a good fighter, but I might really be able to be one of the better ones out there. Yeah. I mean, going back to Paul, I was training with Paul. Uh, Jonathan Webb was in the UFC at the time. We had a bunch of guys just like coming up. And before they were even in the UFC, they were fighting for CFFC. They were getting belts and I was an amateur and I was some of these guys, main training partners, you know, and I didn't, I was 20, 21 years old. And they're like, listen, if you keep your head on, right, you keep doing what you're doing, you can end up where I'm at now. And, uh, yeah, I just, I always just stayed consistent. Like I've seen so many groups of guys come in and out of the gyms. And one thing I never did is whether we always get hurt and we always have injuries, but I always stayed consistent whenever I can be in the gym, I'd always be in the gym. So, um, yeah, I had to be speaking of Paul, he's right here. Uh, these guys telling me that I can make it happen and yeah, and that's what it was. Hopping your right here. Oh, look at this guy. What a treat. They were, just, they were just asking me when I thought uh, I could make it as a fighter. And I was telling them when I was an amateur and you guys were fighting for CFFC and then you guys were going to the UFC, I was still young. 17, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And the kids are studying that. John, I mean, how long have I been telling you that, that he truly has the potential to be a champion? Yeah, part of the reason Paulie uh, started doing triathlons to get away from that Sean Brady you knows know Paulie. <laughs> and now, now I'm in shape, John. I'm telling you. It's oh, People have been asking a lot. It's paying dividends. That's all I'll say. Listen to it. I'll see you soon. Hopefully, if not, and I'll be out you. Thanks for popping on there for a hey, second. You're the man. Nah, you're the man. So uh, before I let Kempflo jump in here, if you haven't been tracking Sean Brady's every move, uh, pretty significant health scare that started with a small blister on your left elbow. And uh, Kenny comes from a medical family. I'm not going to read all of these medical terms, but um, I'm glad you're out the other side of it. Yeah. But ultimately, your summer was built towards this big fight with a guy that now I think you believe without a shadow of a doubt you're going to fucking murder. And then obviously you have to deal with this health issue. So can you walk us through that if you'd be so kind? Man, so even like kind of before that, obviously everybody knows I lost to Bilal. I lost my first fight. And then after that, I was trying to come back super fast. I got home from Abu Dhabi. I started right back in the training, running, doing all kinds of stuff. And I wound up tearing my groin. And um, I, I was taking a fight. I was supposed to fight Pereira, uh, Michelle Pereira. We were booked. I tore my groin. We rebooked a fight. I tore my groin again. So I tore my groin twice. Um, my, I tore my adductor and, um, my adductor, I had a whole bunch of stuff going on, rehabbed it, got back, scheduled my fight with Jack. I had my, my, I had my wedding on a Friday. I started my training camp on Monday, like eight weeks out, started my camp, like locked in for Jack. Two weeks out from Jack, I wake up Monday, I go to train. I go to sleep, I wake up and my wife's a nurse. And, um, she's like, I was like, I showed her my arm and she's like, yeah, like you gotta go to the hospital. Cause I had back when I was supposed to fight Kevin Lee, I had almost the same thing in my ankle. 
only two times I've ever had infections in my life. They both put me in the hospital. And um, yeah, it turned out it wasn't MRSA. It, it was actually uh, some type of strep and it could have turned into a flesh eating bacteria. But I was in the hospital for a week and unfortunately, obviously that pulled me out of the fight with, uh, with Jack. And honestly, like my elbow didn't get better for at least a month. Like I still like my, I have a hoodie on, but my elbows disformed from it. Like, uh, my elbow sticks out further than it should. So it's been a rough year, but, uh, it, it happens, you know, it, 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 it stinks, but, uh, I'm keeping my head up. I'm hoping to fight by the end of the year. So yeah, that's where I'm at now. I'm healthy and uh, I'm just ready to get back to it. You know, every fighter has like, can you know, every fighter has a, a bad year or a bad moment in their, in their career, in their life. But um, I'm ready to get back to it and I'm ready to get back to my winning ways. Sean. Yeah. It can be really frustrating, man. Injuries, infections, all those yeah. things. What do you rely on during those times where you, I know you want to just kind of get in there and compete and come back and, and, and prove, prove yourself as, as the great fighter that you are? Just my family, my family and my team, and just uh, believing in myself and knowing how good I am. And that's what sucks. I really want to get out because everyone, like my team and all the guys I train with, they know how good I am. But I want to get back out there and show the world and prove it to the UFC and prove it to all these people that I belong in the top 10. And I'm going to be a UFC champion. Uh, it's hard to do that when you can't get back in there and, and fight, you know, because of infections and injuries. But those things are out of my control. So I just focus on the things I can control and um, just believing in myself and my team and knowing that it's going to work out and where I'm supposed to be, I'm going to get there. Whether it takes a little bit longer, I'm only 30 years old. I, I feel like I can do, I, I feel like I'm just getting better. And every year I get older, I beat up the younger version of myself. So I'm getting better every year. And even if I'm not fighting, I'm training my ass off and I'm always getting better. So yeah, I'm focused on just getting back in there. And um, luckily, I have a great support system. My wife, my family, everyone loves me. And they just want to see me get back in there and do what I do. And we just need this division to keep moving along. It has kind of idle. Nothing's going no. on. So I thought you had a great quote when the fight with Jack Della Maddalena went away. Uh, it was sort of a mix of class, but competitiveness and acknowledgement of what was probably a surprising comment from him. You said, I'm sorry we won't be able to get to share the cage together. I know you work just as hard as me. But as for saying Brady shit the bed, I expect that from an Internet troll, not a fellow fighter himself. So shame on you. And I hope you slash none of your teammates have to go through this in the future. Uh, we'll yeah. see each other someday soon. So he just fought Kevin Holland. What did you think of that contest? Uh, dude, I'm not in like the like fighters come on here or any other and they shit on each other. You know, every time you get in there, it's not going to be your best night. I didn't think it was the best performance from either one of them, but it was a good fight. Uh, yeah, like I, I don't know. Like uh, I expected a little bit more from each one of them and then like when I took the Jack fight, people, they get on these hype trains and then they, everyone was like, you're going to get knocked out this, that. And then they seen Jack fight Basil and they're like, Oh shit, this guy kind of got exposed. And I'm like, I've known this. I've known his takedown defense wasn't the best. I, I'm not out here just taking fights that I don't think I can win. Like I know I can beat the best guys in the world. So I've already seen those things. I think Jack's a great fighter, but do I think I can beat him? 100%. Do I think I can beat Kevin Holland? 100%. But um, yeah, it was a good fight. But this division, like, I, don't, I really don't know what's going on because me and uh, Vicente Luque, we've been DMing back and forth, trying like we both agreed to fight. Um, I went to fight in November at the MSG card. He said, "Listen, give me a little bit more time. I just fought RDA. Would you want to fight in December?" Super respectful. We both said, "Yeah," and uh, 
So I have no idea what's going on. I'm just, at this point, I'm just training and whatever they bring to me, I'll be ready. It is good, I guess, in some way that the division is where it's at because I think you're coming back at a really good time. But hopefully, yeah. Presente Luque or Jack Della Maddalena. The yeah. one thing about Jack, you at least know that he's wanting to fight all the goddamn time, you know? So. Yeah, that, that him, he's always wanting to fight. And uh, there's so many good matchups. And like the division's the best it's ever been. We just gotta get uh, we gotta get some fights booked, you know. Right. And like me, me and Vicente, I'm nine, he's ten. We're right next to each other. I know there's a, a December second card. They haven't announced where it's at yet. And then I know there's one at the end of the month in Vegas. So there's there's options out there. But um, I'm, I'm sure I'll be hearing something soon. I think they were waiting for that Jack Della fight to happen to see kind of how things shake out. So we'll see. UFC welterweight contender Sean Brady with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast at Sean Brady MMA on Instagram if you are so inclined. Uh, to what extent are you a Philadelphia sports fan? I mean, the Iron Lung Paul Felder couldn't name 10 Philadelphia athletes to save his life. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best, but I'm so Lane, obviously, uh, Lane Johnson plays for the Eagles, Jalen right. Hurts. We have the same uh, strength and conditioning coach. So I'm okay. actually getting, I'm getting ready to go to Lane's house after this. Uh, my strength coach does all of his work out of his house. So I'm I'm pretty cool with those guys. So I'm a huge Eagles fan. We're two and zero. Yeah, Rocky start, Rocky start, but we're still two and zero. So we got a, we got the Phillies. So I, I'm getting more to the sports, but yeah, I'm so locked in with MMA, and there's so much going. I try to watch UFC, PFL, Bellator. It's it's so oh, much brutal. content. It, it's yeah. so it's br- it's so hard to keep up. But uh, I'm a I'm a diehard martial arts fan. So that's a great, that's a great answer. I ask it really because it's a great time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. I feel like the Eagles have a great chance to get back to the Super Bowl and the Phillies have a great chance to make a run in the playoffs, but I have a few more minutes with Sean Brady. So I'll table that stuff for now. So uh, a couple quick ones for you on the way out Buy or sell Leon Edwards makes his first title defense before 2024. I hope so. I, I think know. so. I, I think so. I and listen, Kobe, Kobe might beat him. Kobe's you can shit on Kobe all you want. I know a lot of people do. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but um, he's got a style that could beat Leon. So yeah. it just has it just has to happen though. And so, uh, yeah, I think it'll happen. I, I think yeah, it'll happen. I do too. On December sixteenth, it, ha- who it do has you, to. So if um to save a dog's life, who wins that fight? Leon Edwards, Kobe Covington, Kobe. I'm not going to kill a dog if Leon wins, but that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and then I guess if you could handpick a fight, right? I know Vicente Luque is next, right? But Colby Covington would be a huge fight for you, right? A Bilal Muhammad rematch obviously would be a big fight. So maybe that's internally. A, that's the future. That's the okay. future. Because maybe internally for you, like the Bilal rematch, if he could become even an interim champion, that'd be big yeah. for you. And, yeah, 100%. Um, but like, what's the dream fight for you, like in terms of the big name that you'd like to go pluck? Or is it the Bilal rematch. What is the the big fight for you? I mean, Bilal is obviously the one. Obviously, I want to get back, and I respect Bilal. I think he's just obviously he beat me, super good fighter. But um, I think I, that was just he had the best night of his life. I had the worst night of my life, and um, I know eventually we'll get back to it. But I would like I I really want Vicente. Like I really like that's like I think we're right next to each other. I think that's what would, would get me to next the next level. You know, I need a, I need to get a, a top 10 win. And that's what I would, I was honestly hoping RDA won that fight because right. 
I have so much respect for RDA and he's such a legend. Like I want, I want my legend fight, you know? So right, um, right. like if Damian Maya was still ranked, I was trying to get a grappling match with Damian recently, but, uh, and it's out of just pure respect for these guys, you know, like I yeah. just want, everyone gets their legends fight and I'm like, I wish you would have pulled it out. But uh, uh, Gilbert Burns, like Gilbert's a fucking legend, all these guys. So but yeah, like Gilbert would be awesome. There's just so many guys. Well, I think we might be staring at a budding legend, Sean Brady, number nine in the world right now, and uh, poised for what I believe is a big 2024. We certainly hope to see you later this Thank year, you, my man, and uh, we appreciate you hopping on with us. We'll let you yes, get sir. back to it, and uh, stay healthy, my man. We'll see you down the road, okay? Thank you, Kenny, and thank you. I appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Thanks, thank John. you, brother. Take there care, he is. UFC welterweight contender out of Philadelphia, PA, Sean Brady, with us today here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Really good dude, and... Uh, Health is wealth, obviously, and he mentioned the groin thing. That's a nasty injury, and you see how mentally strong an individual he is. I can just say, as the terrible maybe high school athlete that I was, dude, I dealt with a nagging groin my high school basketball junior year. It just brutal, man. Like, it just absolutely one of the worst injuries. My my understanding, it's one of the worst ones. I remember when George St. Pierre was dealing with an adductor issue, and it's so easy to re-injure, and then you think you're totally fine, and then it tears again. So that is very common uh, because you yeah. think you're okay. So that's unfortunate. I'm, he sounds like he's good spirits. He's healthy. Can't wait to see him back, man. Seems like a really good dude. One thing that I do think is different about Boston and Philadelphia in a broad sense as sports towns, and I'm not banging on Philadelphia whatsoever. Kenny wasn't the biggest Boston sports fan in the world at every moment of his life. And certainly there were times during your career where you couldn't have cared less about the Boston Celtics. But you are unmistakably a Boston sports fan now and completely locked into the Patriots. And it is interesting for me, a lot of these guys from Philly, uh, I thought Sean, and he was a little bit of a step up than Felder, you know, but like if Paul Felder's brother, Tommy is fucking locked in. You can be sure. Yeah. It's interesting for me. A lot of these guys in a, a rabid Philadelphia sports town like Philly, they don't really give a rip. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's that. And I also think that, you know, to Sean Brady's credit, you know, it's like he's so locked into the yeah, MMA yeah. game and he's just, he's such a student of the game. He's trying to consume everything. And I love that too. But yeah, it, it's hard, man. But Boston, dude. Boston's a different level as far as sports yeah. fan. And, and, you know, anyways. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to get to Brian Petrie in about 60 seconds, but I just wanted to make sure you didn't have anything else on the 18-year-old Raul Rosas Jr. Because this is a phenomenon to me. He walks into our fighter meeting room and there is something I undeniably special about it. I'm not saying I get starstruck around an 18-year-old boy, right? But... To come back from this Christian Rodriguez loss in this manner against any man, right? Handpicked matchup or otherwise, I know long ago referenced Patty Pimblett, but you know, there, there you, you know, you do easier than Terrence Mitchell if you're really trying to get a guy a win. I know he's a massive favorite, um, but you still got to go out there and do it. And to do it with style points like that, and uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm here for the Raul Rosas Jr. show. I don't think he'll be still fighting the UFC when he's 36. But I'm, I'm here for it. Bro, here's the thing. Like, I kept growing till I was like 19, 20. I do everything late. I do everything late. So the fact that this kid is 18 years old in a man's sport, this isn't yeah. like tennis, okay? This isn't soccer where, you know, we see that it's commonplace where physicality, you can kind of get around. This is a big deal that an 18-year-old is fighting at a professional level. And it's also one of those situations where it's, um, it's sink or swim 
too, right? Because you can get into the UFC too early, things get mismanaged, and yeah. now you're out of there, you're in the lower leagues, and then people remember, oh, that there was some Rosos guy who was in there. So, you know, the fact that he's in there and he's doing well, and it seems like he's you know, staying focused. The question is, can he stay focused, right, with all that's going on in his life? That's going to be critical and not an easy thing to manage. And I go back to, you know, Mike Tyson, when he was champion of the world, you know, at such a young age, trying to manage all of that, the youth, you know, the hormones, the, the, the fame, the money, the women, all those things. It is not an easy thing. Uh, and the fact that he's competing at the highest level right now in the UFC with all those eyeballs watching, I wouldn't be able to do it. At least I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to do it at 18. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it is very remarkable that he's able to pull it all together. Well, and the good news is he really is a true martial artist talking about choke variations and a lot of drills and making submission adjustments. And I think the nature of his training camp for C-Rod was so bad that he can feed off of that, right, that I know what. I didn't do during a training camp that resulted in a loss. And even at 18, I find that to be hugely valuable for him. The other thing is that, you know, he's got a mean streak and he's a little bit of a dick, right? Which I think is good. Everybody, I think, in like the public sees that he'll willingly get on a microphone and say things like, oh, I'm just here to take out the trash for Dana White, right? Like yeah. this dude doesn't care about your feelings and he's true to who he is and that side of him. You see it in his post fight interviews. So uh, I don't know, man. I just think he has an edge. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Like he, he yep. definitely has an edge to him, even though he's only 18. So uh, very excited to see the future for Raul Rosas Jr. All right. It is time to spin this thing forward. We got another UFC fight night coming up this weekend. So we're going to call on the able mind of Brian Petrie, our handicapper from the MMA Takes podcast to help us with our main event challenge and our pronunciation of the week. And uh, it's good to see you. I uh, Are you and Ken Flo excited for uh, for a dark week? You guys have been making a lot of predictions. We get through Rafael Fazib and Mataos Gamera. You guys get a week off. I, I mean, right now it sounds nice, but then by like Tuesday, Wednesday, I'd be like, man, I, I want, you know, I like to make some <laughs> Exactly. I miss some yeah. fights, you know what I mean? But no, we're, uh, we've been, we've been lights out, Ken Flo and I. So uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, B, see, here's the thing. BP's on kind of a, a, on a roll right now. Yeah. I need a reset. So I might need okay. this dark week to kind of reset, sure. refresh. You know what I mean? Makes so, sense. Yeah, We're giving you the whole week off. The Anakin Florian podcast is going to be dark. It's one of, I think, two scheduled dark weeks the entire year. I'm going on vacation. Nice. We're shutting it down. And we'll be back the first week of October. But we have work to attend to until we get there. We have a pronunciation of the week. It involves our main event athlete. Yeah. It is not Rafael Fazeev. This man is a Polish mauler. This yeah. is my favorite division in the UFC. Not because Ken Flo fought for the lightweight title three times. I tried on my one more round Ken Flo t-shirt before the show today. <laughs> I looked a little tight, so I didn't wear it. But I love this division, and I love yeah. this main event so much. And I really love hearing Brian Petrie attempt to pronounce <laughs> names like this. So Polish fighter. Yeah. Polish fighters suggest to us that we can't even as Americans say these names. So what do you have for us on Fazeev's opponent, Bri? You know, so funny this is the hardest fight for me to pick. So I did a ton of tape study and completely ignored how they pronounced it. So I didn't mute or anything. I just, my dumb brain was like, ah, so I'm going to go Mentus Gamrot. Well, you got the last name, right? There and ultimately for your purposes in the main event challenge, all you need to master is the last name. Sure. Gamrot. Yeah. First name, uh, 
was butchered like the local guy cutting up red meat. Uh, Cody, do you have the file for us? My name is Mateusz Gamrot. My nickname is Geimer. My name is Mateusz Gamrot. My nickname is Geimer. Kenny, yes, Mataj. He says his first name so clearly that every time I hear anyone else say Mateus or he says Mataj clearly twice, it feels like it's pretty easy to mimic that sound, no? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, Mataj. Mataj Gamra fighting Rafael Faziv. We'll get into the odds for UFC Fight Night here in a moment. First, want to update the standings. Positive Ooh. week for Brian Petrie, plus $292. Takes you to minus 1306 on the year. Nice. Ah. That included a four-unit whack on Jack Della Maddalena. Ken Flo, one and three, a three-unit loser on Kevin Holland, minus 516 for the week. Puts you at minus 4379. Ken Flo's going to have to take some chances if he's going to mm-hmm. avoid cracking a beer yeah. bottle over his head reminder if you put rocks in the beer bottle first it'll soften up up the glass before you and cody smash those (laughs) over your head i also thought if you guys wanted to um just like staple your head instead that that might work too i don't know if that's you know there are options just know that uh you'll want to not get a haircut for a few weeks before you pay this off for me and petri rough (laughs) all right first selection at featherweight Charles Air Jordan minus one forty eight taking on Ricardo Hamos plus one twenty four. Jordan has been very active. Bry fought mm-hmm. three times in twenty twenty one, three times in twenty twenty two, and coming off what I thought Bry was a real clean win over Crone Gracie, UFC two eighty eight back in May, and now he draws Hamos, uh, who's also coming off a win, but his was all the way back in June of twenty twenty two over Danny Chavez, bonus winning knockout at that. What do you have mm-hmm. for us on this one, BP? Yeah, I like this fight. This is a really good matchup. Unfortunately, Charles Renan is not going to get credit, uh, enough credit for his win over Crone Gracie because everyone's going to be like, what the fuck was Crone Gracie doing in that fight? What is it, 1995? Yeah. But uh, I think Jordan is still a young fighter. He's talented. He is a black belt. I know there's levels that his wrestling is the one thing that I think he really needs to work on, wrestling defense, that is. And Ricardo Hamos, oh, Hamos here, explosive spinning attacks. He likes to grapple a little bit nowadays, too. He took Bill Algio down eight times. I think Bill Algio is long for the division. Charles Jordan, not quite as long, but very similar body types. I like Jordan striking. I think he's more precise. I think he's more technical. Hamos is more explosive. I do think Hamos has the X factor on taking his fight to the ground. Everything's leading me to take the dog, but I can't pick against Charles Jordan. Uh, I like this guy. I think, he, I think he's talented. I think this could be a close fight. Not going to put a lot of money on it. Probably goes to decision, and we're going to see what kind of judges show up, but uh, I like Jordan. Kempflo, Charles Jordan, Ricardo Hamos, who do you like? Yeah, you know, in regards to Jordan's last fight against Crone, I, I think that the positive was was that he was disciplined, and, and mm-hmm. he was clearly the better fighter, no question about that. But I think in past fights, he doesn't always stay disciplined. It's almost like, I want to be more exciting. That trumps everything else, so I'm going to be that dude. Uh, and the fact that he was disciplined, he was focused, he didn't get out of his game plan, I thought was a really solid sign. Now, he's going against a guy in Hamos who I think can really pose some problems. They are very similar in their approach and how they fight a little bit. I think they're they're similar in skill. And because of that, I, I'm just kind of going to lean on the underdog a little bit mm-hmm. here in Hamos. Um uh, I could see either of these guys winning this fight, but when I see this fight that's very closely contested, uh, I'm going to lean towards the dog here. 
Hamos got injured late 2022. Then he missed weight for a scheduled fight with Austin Lingo earlier this year. So his first start of the year. We'll see how it goes against Charles Jordan. That brings us to Brian Battle, minus 180 against AJ Fletcher, plus 150 in the welterweight division. So Battle coming off that monumental 14-second knockout of Gabe mm-hmm. Green in front of Kenny Florian in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now he spins it forward, takes on Lafayette, Louisiana's AJ Fletcher, who is built like the side of a backyard shed. There he is. Ken is going to lead us off here. Who do you love? <laughs> Brian Battle, minus 180, AJ Fletcher, plus 150. Yeah, this is interesting, man. Yeah, AJ Fletcher is uh, jacked. I think he can go into bodybuilding if this uh, whole fighting thing huh. doesn't work out. But um, yeah, you know, I, I like Brian Battle here. I, I think he's the favorite for a reason. Um, you know, re- repping repping the Carolinas, and um, I, I think that uh, he's turned into a very dynamic and dangerous fighter. Um, I think that uh, as long as he's leading the dance and staying aggressive, I, I think he wins this fight. So give me Battle Fletcher. I mentioned. What a bull, Bri. You got to mm-hmm. like this A.J. Fletcher. I mean, he's one yeah. and two in the UFC thus far. Trying to make it two wins in a row here against Brian Battle. Yeah, I just wish he had longer arms. You know, he's got those alligator arms, which it hinders him because he likes to stand up. You know, you think this guy's built like a wrestler. You know, he, he takes a couple people down, but he's not primarily a wrestler. He's explosive and gasses himself out. All that, all those beach muscles, they need oxygen, right? And Brian Battle, I think, has gotten leaps better since the ultimate fighter, I think this guy is is clean on the feet. He's got a da- nasty head kick. You know, he fought Renat uh, Fakhradinov and got bully balled in that fight. But that dude's a special, special guy. And Brian Battle came back mentally strong, said, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do my thing. I think he has A.J. Fletcher here. Could be a finish, possibly. Uh, Fletcher is tough. Um, but I do think battle maybe maybe late round, uh, second, third round. Fletcher slows down. Battle doesn't slow down. Give me Brian Battle. Got to change that nickname. I mean, has there ever been a nickname that ends in that ends in, uh, um, a, you know, like Brian Battle test it? You know what I mean? Like that's a good nickname. So what is his nickname? Pooh Bear. Yeah, no good. So yeah, yeah Brian <laughs> Battle tests it. I like. I've talked about this too. If Johnny Walker. Right. Johnny mm-hmm. Walker's on the cusp of contention legitimately. Mm-hmm. Just grab blue or black and put it on the yep. end of your name. Gorgeous. And have Bruce Buffer announce you as Johnny Walker Blue. You know, and yeah. people be like, what? Johnny Walker Blue? Everybody be talking. And the <laughs> fact that you're dropping a Renat Fakhradinov just speaks to your elevated confidence when it comes to the pronunciation game. So. I'm getting better, boys. I'm getting better. The marbles are starting to slowly fall out of the mouth. I'm starting <laughs> to get a little better, boys. All right. Rematch alert, strawweight division. Like, why is he screaming? Why is he screaming? <laughs> People who don't listen to this podcast and then do for the first time are like, what is this guy's problem? Like on TV, <laughs> he seems uh strawweight rematch, guys. Marina Rodriguez minus 310. Michelle Waterson Gomez plus 250. First fight was a main event at Flyweight at the UFC Apex. That was in Enterprise, Nevada, by the way. Rodriguez won that fight rather dominantly, I thought. Now they run it back down 10 pounds. So Rodriguez went from winning four in a row, Bri, mm-hmm. to now being in danger of losing three in a row. Big spot for her, but a huge price. I yeah. tend to see some value on that Waterson Gomez side at plus 250. How do you see it, Bri? Yeah, I think I think you're 100% right. I'm good to go with Mejia Rodriguez because I love saying her name and I crushed it. Um, but her boxing <laughs> team, she's, she's 0-2 in her last two, which is, you know, ran into a right hand with Lemos and then dropped the decision. 
Uh, she's getting up there in age a little bit, but I still think she's really clean on the feet. She's so polished on the feet. And uh, with the karate hottie, you know, with that with that Boston accent, you can drop really good. Uh, Michelle Gomez Watterson, or Watterson Gomez, excuse me, she's starting to get really just nails in there, right? Before it was like this pretty striking, throw some cool kicks. Didn't like the firefight. Now she lives in the firefights. She's proven to be extremely durable. Has some problems on the ground with some submission. Don't think that's going to be a problem here. Michelle Watterson also likes to take the fight to the ground herself. Landed one takedown in the first fight. She's uh, doing that more. Hopefully, it's not the head and arm throw because, you know, that's going to get countered. You know what I mean? We got we to clean those up. But yeah. um, I think there's tremendous value in Watterson for sure. But I'm going to go Mian Adiguez, um, because uh, I just think she's cleaner, more polished, has the win over uh, um, Watterson as well. And, um, yeah, I just – I don't know. I got a feeling. It is it is a high price. I think this is a parlay piece. There's two other female fights on this card. I think you can throw it in a – you know, I know chicks parlay if you want to go all chicks – um, yep. something like that. Uh, we, we can do that, but, uh, give me, give me how do you guess? That's Canada. There it is. Yes. <laughs> the, the way you said Marina Rodriguez that first time, bro, yeah. I can't even listen to the analysis that follows. I'm just so mesmerized. You gave Cody another soundbite right there. <laughs> Second time you said it too, closing out the selection. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably fucking cut that one up too. Uh, but we got to move on. Ken Flo Watterson Gomez has not won since a split decision. Not it came against Angela Hill back in 2020, but very competitive, competitive. She was in a split decision loss to Luana Panero in Miami back in April. And uh, I really have leaned into a lot of what Brian was just saying. She she lives in the firefight now. That has been a switch flip for Watterson Gomez. She's always been tough, but she just seems to really enjoy the taste of her own blood these days. And uh, mm -hmm. I think some might see value on her plus 250. The line continues to climb towards M Marina Rodriguez. Which way are you going here? Absolutely. And I agree. And I think she kind of needs to do that here in this fight against Marina Rodriguez. And um, I, I do think it's going to be a difficult fight for her. I don't love the numbers on Rodriguez here, but um, Michelle Watterson Gomez does have, does have a path to victory. I just feel like her game plan is going to have to be absolutely perfect here. And I do think she has some advantages if she's able to put Rodriguez on her back. I just don't think she's going to be able to do it enough and consistently enough to win this fight. I think Rodriguez is going to is kind of the more well-rounded striker. She's a little bit more versatile on the feet. Um, and I think that you, you have to believe that she's been working on her takedown defense in the last couple of fights. Both these women on a losing streak here. Very, very important fight. But I like Rodriguez here. All right, that brings us to the co-main event. Back to you, Patriot Featherweight. 10th ranked Bryce Mitchell, minus 205. We have seen this price steadily climb on DraftKings Sportsbook towards Mitchell. 12th ranked Danny Gay, plus 170. Was plus 140 24 hours ago. Mm -hmm. Now he can be had plus 170. He's won two in a row. And that team's got a lot of momentum right now. Sean Strickland, Daniel Zell Huber, mm -hmm. among others. Mitchell on the other side has dealt with some injuries, some ailments, but he returns here. Does so with much fanfare, Bry. He's 15 and one. Lone career loss, of course, came against Ilya Topuria. He was far less than 100%. I'm not trying to take away from the Spaniard, but his health was an issue for that fight. And then he had to pull out of a fight against Mofsar Iavloyev due to a back injury, mm -hmm. famously replaced, of course, by Diego Lopez. But now Thug Nasty is back, Bry, and mm -hmm. uh, he's a two to one favorite here against Danny Gay. Your thoughts? 
I, I feel like I'm getting punked. I feel like John is going to take off a mask and it's going to be legendary coach Diego Sanchez coach Joshua Fable. I feel like I'm getting punked here. Why is Danny getting the underdog? I mean, are we, are we seriously right now? I've already loaded up at 140. I'm loading up again at 170. Nothing taken away from Bryce Mitchell. He's great. But if you look at his wins, Bobby Moffitt, one and three, in, didn't make in the UFC, Tyler Diamond. Uh, Charles Rosa, not longer the promotion. Andre Philly was a great performance. Edson Barbro is a great performance. You can make the argument he's getting better, but now he's got some all outside the cage stuff. He's got some ex-girlfriend stuff that's going on social media with the fruit trees and everything. I don't know if you've seen it. He's distracted. And I don't know if he's really excelling and getting better like I think he should. Dan Ige is a savage. We all saw what Dan Ige did against Nate Landwehr. Those stance switches, those hand, the switching up the stances, hurting Nate left and right. I think Nate's a better fighter than, than Bryce Mitchell. I think Bryce Mitchell is an entertaining guy. He's fun. Seems like a good guy to root for. I like rooting for him. He obviously was sick, fell ill, or was sick and, and looked, looked sick against Tapori. I was there live. He was getting tossed all over that cage, which is surprising because he's this Arkansas strong farm boy that takes you down, lays on top of you, and beats you up, right? Hit a twister early on in his UFC career against Matt Sales, who, again, one and three in the promotion, no longer there. So his wins aren't stacking up for me, and Dan Ige's been in there with everyone. He's hard to take down. He's only at 50%, 56% takedown defense, but 90 of those came from against most are you love. I mean, the, I mean that guy. That guy's a different level. So Dan Ige, underdog money here. I'm putting three units on it. I've already got real money on it. So let's go three units on Dan Ige here. I think this is a lock of the century. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was getting punked for a minute, but uh, yeah, give me Dan Ige. I don't know if he's going to get a stoppage, but I, I like him. And we've been seeing this thing too, where grapplers tend to win fights. But then you got Sugar Sean O'Malley with the footwork taken out of Aljo. You got Cyril Gaon taken out Sergei Spivak. So the tides are turning a little bit. Strikers are finding out a way to use their footwork and slow down some grapplers. And I think Dan Ige is going to do that here. Not to mention his cardio through the roof. Uh, team's on fire. Give me Dan Ige. And defensively, Danny Gay is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Of yeah. course, there are levels to that game. But uh, I can understand why people see value on Danny Gay and increasingly so now, plus 170. Ken Flo, before you make your selection, there is a reason why money has been pouring in on Bryce Mitchell. The rap album, the country rap album, is called <laughs> Pasture Fire. And uh, nice. got a little taste for you folks here, here today. Bryce Mitchell, Thug Nasty, Pasture Fire. So good. Just wait, Ken Flow. Just fucking wait, dude. That's 70 seconds of your life. <laughs> I feel like a DJ trying to fill this music bed before Bryce Mitchell takes over. DJ Eddie. He's got bars. I've heard of Here he comes. Yeah, I'm from Arkansas, fuck through the dark and saw light at the end of the tunnel. My energy's funnel, my enemies talking, they chuckle. I don't give a fuck, ain't no need to rebuttal. They look in my eyes and they know I won't buckle. Been from the jungle, I've been down to rumble. Give me the microphone, I'll keep it humble and give me the weight and I ain't on a fumble. That's a bad habit, I learned out in Cabot. I'll go get a pound and put it in the attic. If I need some money, then I'ma go grab it. Fighting is good, but that shit is sporadic. Fighting is good, but that lie. shit is sporadic. I'm living lavish, I'm straight out the trailer. I cuss like a sailor. Love on my clothes, but that ain't custom tailor. My girl, yeah, she's 
she's in love with me Get to the bone, at least she gets, gets up on me Grippin' me, hugging me, all of a sudden <laughs> Missing me, kissing me, no social distancing Girl, I'm up in your business and I Love fucking with y'all, roll your swisher You been in the picture, you made my life better I mean, better. you prefer Al Joe so dumb or this At Anacory no Rock the dark inside let me ask you a question jay i know you used to spit a little bit back in the day you He's take better it, than me you better than you all right i didn't know yeah. if you were taking a if you could get a hot 16 and better than bryce he's better than me okay so but that's not freestyle but i'm sure he's yeah. a better freestyle rapper than i uh and he probably can write hip-hop lyrics better than i can mm -hmm. that was pretty good yeah it's not i gotta bad. figure out a way to drop a dark and saw though if this guy wins <laughs> uh, yeah. bringing out the dark and saw tonight uh ken flo we need a selection here who do you have i could do that for you um listen i, I think that uh Bryce Mitchell does have a lot of things going on uh, outside the cage. You know, it, obviously there's, you know, the relationship thing, but there's the injuries too. Like how healthy is he right now? I know about back injuries and they stay with you uh, and they can come back to haunt you at very odd times, especially when you're cutting <laughs> yeah, weight. Punch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're cutting weight and you're at the end of a training camp <laughs> where you've been building up a lot of volume of trading of training so yeah i'm a little bit worried about that but i'm worried about dan ige and the power that he has in his hands the fact that he is a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt he's not going to be lost on the ground i do think bryce mitchell moves very fast on the ground he's going to be uh, very aggressive there and you have to worry about a lot of different things submissions positions against bryce mitchell but i think dan ige can do way more than just survive on the ground and i also think that his takedown defense is getting better he's not a perfect takedown uh defense guy but i don't think he needs to be against Bryce Mitchell necessarily. I think he needs to be good enough to stop a lot of those takedowns, um, frustrate Bryce Mitchell, and land a big shot when he can. And I think if he could do that, not only can he win rounds, he could perhaps win by finish here. Uh, I think Mitchell can as well, um, but I just have too many question marks for me, and I think there's a lot of value on Dan Ega. I was hoping that Brian Petrie was going to go the other way with Brian, with Bryce Mitchell, but come on, this guy's too sharp. We'll see if that plus 170 sticks around. I find that very interesting. Both of you landed on that side, 30 cent price move in the last 24 hours. And uh, Peter, we're going to need you to come in on Sunday. Too. <laughs> all right. Main event, 155 pounds. The division, all the others are chasing. Rafael Fazeev, minus 162. Mataj Gamera, plus 136. So Fazeev is coming off that absolute war against Justin Gaethje. He had been 7-0 in the UFC going in. And Gamrot, another just absolute warrior, repping American top team in Poland, coming off a split win over Jalen Turner at UFC 285 in March. Outstanding main event. I can't wait to watch it and not talk during it. And it's at the UFC Apex coming up here Saturday night. 25-foot octagon, can't flow, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Fazeev or Gamrot in the main event for you. Yes, sir. This is such a great fight, man. Um, I, I think that early on, especially when, when Gamrot had that absolute nasty fight against Harukian, I was super high on Gamrot. But I'm not sure I've seen him take it to that same level since that fight. Um, I think that, you know, there was, you know, some good performances here and there, no question about it. But 
I think that maybe I overestimated his abilities a little bit too much. I think submission-wise, I expect a little bit more. Uh, Striking-wise, he hasn't made the adjustments or the evolution like I had hoped. Uh, not to say he's bad there, not to say he's a bad fighter. He's a very good fighter, don't get me wrong. But I thought that coming off of that Sarukian fight that we would see his game really elevate. I just haven't seen that as much as I had hoped. Uh, and you're going against a guy in Fazeev who is an absolute killer. He's extremely difficult to take down. I think that when you fight a guy like Gaethje, you are going to learn so much about yourself, about your heart, about your technique, about your vulnerabilities, all of that, the pressure that he had to deal with. So I think we're going to see a Fazeev that is going to come in pretty damn hot and I think that he's going to fr- frustrate Gamrot a lot. And I think that if he's able to tire him out and if he's able to find those spots to take advantage of Gamrot on the feet, I think he will. And I think there's great value on Fazeev here. You know what? Uh, minus 160. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that too often out of Fazeev against matchups that are similar like this. So I'll, I'll, I got to go for it, man. I'm in big trouble. I need Give me five units hey, on Fazeev. Whoa. Yeah, five unit whacker on Rafael Fazeev for Ken Flo. That is an eight hundred and ten dollar wager to win five hundred. Brian Petrie, the yeah. floor is yours. Who do you like at the main event? Love that pick. Love that breakdown from Ken Flo. This fight was really intriguing when I first got announced. I really dove deep into it. I love when a main event like stumps me. Right, uh, I got to dive in. I got to look at the tape. You know, I got to go over the stats. And Gamrot is a guy who's super durable and tough, but. In the Benny Darius fight, what impressed me was he got rocked and Benny could crack and he got up, but he rushed so many takedowns. Instead of letting his hands go, he dove for takedowns and it wore himself out and Benny was ready for it. And that just shut him down. It's, you know, he's a very aggressive and good fighter and he, and he rushes takedowns too much when I think his stand up is coming along pretty well. He's obviously good on the ground. Then you get Fazeev. Well, this guy, debuts in the UFC gets knocked out. I'm like, oh, you know, this world class striker gets knocked out, runs off some amazing performances had a little stutter against Bobby green. In my opinion, some people thought Bobby green lost. He just slowed down. I thought Fazeev won, but then he gets Justin Gaethje. It was a majority decision loss. He won the first round, lost the final two. In my opinion, in the third round, he just got, you got chopped up a little bit, got bloodied up a little bit, but this guy's stand up is so shiny. It's a shiny little polished tool. I love it. I love it. My only critique with him, and this is coming from a fathead kid from Cincinnati, my only critique from him is he kind of gets in this rhythm of like the Muay Thai kickboxing rhythm with his striking, and Gaethje read that by the third round. I wish he would be just a little bit more flowy, but that's the smallest critique ever. I think his stand-up is phenomenal. He looks to be in insane shape. We haven't really seen anybody really test his grappling. I've heard worlds reviews about it in the gym, how hard he is to get down. He'll toss you on your fucking head. So this is going to prove it here. And he answered the question over the cardio. That's another thing. He's improving. Got knocked out debut. Hasn't been knocked out since. Stuttered a little bit cardio-wise against Bobby Green. Goes out there and finishes Jafi Dos Santos in the first round. He's proving himself constantly. Taking it seriously. This is a guy that's lights out. I agree with Kenny. Price is low. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put two units on it as well uh, for my remaining five. Uh, I love Fazeev here. I think he is. This is going to be a banger of a fight. I love. There's some questions that need to be answered, and uh, I think we might have one here at 55, boys. I really do. All right, nicely done. Any uh, other preliminary selections or otherwise before we let you go? Uh, I do not. I think Jacob Malkoon is really overpriced, but I do think he's going to absolutely steamroll. Um, but I don't want to give that out because, I mean, any any trained gorilla can give out a minus 410. So uh, not, not, not right now, boys. 
All right. Well, I will leave you with this. Your Cincinnati Bengals are 0-2, <laughs> as are our New England Patriots. If I were you, I don't yeah. even know who Cincinnati has in week three. Straight wager Rams. money line on their opponent, right? Yeah. Just you try, try to get to the best to win. You're right. You yeah, know? They're playing the Rams who haven't looked super bad. So we'll see. Super Bowl rematch. Yeah. We'll see what's going yeah. on. All right. All right, buddy. Appreciate you, man. Have a see good week. Boys. Okay. All right, Brian Pucci with us here. And uh, I know he's dealing with some uh, some family stuff, health issues uh, with his mom. So we wish Brian Petrie the best. MMA Takes podcast at Brian Petrie MMA on social media. All right, I'm going to leave you with this. Cody, if you could send this video invoice to Bruce Buffer via Instagram, that would be great. So here's the invoice from iPhone Wizard. So uh, we had a nice steak dinner, Kenny, at my, uh, my friend Big Ron's suite at The Virgin this past Thursday night. I invited my dear friend Bruce Buffer, who went on to drop Ronnie Pellegrino's iPad on the floor, and oh. he apologized. I don't think he knew the nature of the foul. And really, at the time, I think for all of us, it was no harm, no foul until Ron opened up his iPad the next morning, and the thing was completely fucking shattered. So we have an invoice here, $216.74, perhaps uh, Bruce Buffer. And the, uh, the It's Time Empire maybe can pay for the iPad repair. Uh, perhaps not, but it's iPhone Wizards. And uh, they did a great job fixing the thing. So, uh, But Buffer, yeah, man. Buffer dropping iPads. He was sober too, I think. Oh, man. What's he doing? Juggling it? Was Did he think it was like one oh. of his cue cards? What the <laughs> hell going on? Yeah, he was doing a cameo, I think. All right. Oh, we got to get on out of here. Don't forget, Annex Squared, my NFL podcast with my twin brother, can be viewed on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik is on the Anik and Florian podcast channel live every Thursday night. AnikFlorianPodcast.com has everything you need when it comes to the show. And uh, one more sleep merchandise is yours at millions.co. KennyFlorianMartialArts.com is live. Argus Integrated Defense is outstanding on Instagram. Ken Flo just doing all sorts of shit, fucking taking guns off of people and protecting people, creating space. And uh, they're all wearing pajamas sometimes. Yes, sometimes. No, it's amazing. We got to get on out of here. Shout out to Big Ron Pellegrino for all the hospitality. Paradise Cantina open 24-7, 365. Paradise Road. Paradise, Nevada. I think it's actually Paradise. Might be Las Vegas. But thanks to everybody. Our guests, the great Sean Brady, Ray Longo, Brian Petrie. Thanks to our unbelievable listenership and viewership. We absolutely love you guys. We are resetting next week as the UFC is dark on the last Saturday in September. But we will be back guns blazing first Monday in October. And, uh... Can't wait to be back in your lives then. For our executive producer, Cody Mel, for Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening, for watching. We'll talk to you in less than two weeks. Until then, yo later. Time I start a verse, I break at least three commandments. Kinda like Pluto because I never plan it. I'm outlandish in the way that make the patches look like they own ranches. It's the art of war. Your blood's the only color on the canvas. And I don't mean it like a thug into how you can get God. Fuck being gangsta, I'm hip-hop. You got it every time you walk in the label. The a and like not it. Immune to your shit because I circle, circle, dot, dotted. Body heat is intoxic. We got a beat. I don't got it. Speak copies. He start to think psychically. Make the speakers speak elitistly. Off the high horse. Make an ass of the views. Your DJ must not know the alphabet for getting his cues. My favorite DJ got the and six extra L's to abuse Esoteric John P and I'm the nuclear school I'm Raider Ellis, nice to meet you Short bust of my styles Egocentric, ego-tripping with frequent flyers miles DJ wants to get at the bird, he gets at the bird And bird takes the shot You wanna sit it on us? We got commandos on us Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family 
and 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family-owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.